0: Morning, West Ridge. Morning. It's good to be back, sweet home West Ridge, with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> you are so fake. Um, I'm guessing you already know that money doesn't grow on trees, and I'm guessing. Am I right? you've got plenty of bills to pay. Anybody here got a few mouths to feed? Yeah, I mean, my wife's back there in the back. Um, You may not know there's no rest for the wicked. And if we left it there, we would leave this life with despair. Which, if you haven't noticed, is where a lot of pop culture is today. It's in despair. Now, If you do take a look around at pop culture, and I want you to know I'm too too serious and spiritual to notice pop culture, but my wife tells me about it. And I'm here to tell you, you may be the next X Factor, you may be the next star dancer, you may be the biggest loser, you may be the next American Idol, you may be the next desperate housewife or wheel of fortune Winner, But whether it's Kim, who can't stay in a marriage, or Lindsey, who can't stay out of jail, or Charlie, who can't find his brain, all the fame and fortune in this world cannot provide you with fulfillment in life. Can I get a testimony from somebody here? In today's postmodern circus, it takes more than just a little focus to finish what you start, especially to come to the end of life with fulfillment. And so in this series, we're focusing on ancient generosity. Time after time, we see leaders in the Bible, flawed leaders, because by the way, there are no other kinds, who understood what it took to be God's people. Last week, The tabernacle and Moses this week, the temple and David next week, Nehemiah and the wall. Now here's what the Bible says about King David, a man who stands astride history, any history of this world, a man the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. When he came to the end of his life, this was what they wrote on his tombstone. He died a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd take that. That'd be be okay for me, if you want to read that at my funeral. But what you need to know is that David's heart had known tragedy and disappointment after tragedy and disappointment. His was not an easy road. He had more than a few broken hearts along the way. But at the end of life, he knew joy and fulfillment, which, among other things, no matter what's happened to you in your life, in the rearview mirror... Here's good news today. You can still finish life with joy and fulfillment looking ahead. I think his fulfillment came as a result of some conscious choices he made. And I think we'll take a few steps closer to finishing our life with fulfillment if we make the same choices. Here's the first one. Devote yourself to a superior cause. Here's what the Bible says. David had to say in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has chosen to be the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not just another building, it is for the Lord God Himself. Now David's got it right. He's got the perspective down. The temple wasn't for him to enjoy personally. It wasn't even for his son Solomon to enjoy. It wasn't ultimately even for the nation of Israel. It was for the Lord God. One unquestionable key to finishing what you start with fulfillment is for you to devote yourself to a task, a project, a process that is larger than your life and will live on longer than your life. And if you never find such a cause... Chances are there won't be enough interest in living for you to even want to finish with fulfillment. Life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Some have estimated David's giving to be uh, that the money he personally gave to have the temple built. $13 million in gold, and that's before the recent run-up. $2.5 in silver. This was no casual commitment that David was devoting himself to. This was a stop-and-think-about-it gift. And when you stop and think about it, it seems to me that everyone has one economy and one extravagance. By that I mean, the richest man in the world has one thing about which he is economical, and the poorest man in the world has one thing about which he is extravagant. Have you noticed that? Me neither. I just made that up. I... (laughs) Maybe you'd like to take matches home from the restaurant so you can save all that money from not having to buy matches, that kind of thing. Now, I know plenty of starving artists who wouldn't think twice about buying a $5 cup of no-fat, dry, decaf, soy, mocha madness, but they never have enough money to buy a gallon of milk. You and I have the same extravagances and economies. You may enjoy high tea at the Drake on Michigan Avenue... Or you may enjoy a NASCAR race in Joliet. And you may justify it by using napkins from McDonald's so you don't have to buy toilet tissue. (laughs) Everybody has one of each. Extravagance, economy. And you know what? That's probably okay. But the challenge is that sometimes we lose our priorities about what is what. David's got it right. Give generously first to God and His work, and the rest of your priorities stay in place. Now, if you see giving your finances merely to meet a church budget, then you've missed the point or we've failed to communicate effectively. Your financial commitment, your generosity, is first and foremost for the Lord your God. In our case as expressed through the mission and ministry of Westridge. And those of us who are committed believe that this is a cause that is larger than us and will live longer than us. Devoting yourself to a superior cause will bring you to the end with fulfillment. Choice number two. Issue a significant challenge. Now, this has to do with leadership. David goes on. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God... I'm giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This, in addition to the building materials I've already collected for His holy temple. Now, here's the leadership challenge. Now, who will follow my example? Who is willing to give offerings to the Lord today? Leadership is always by example. Real leaders don't force people to follow That's why haranguing you uh, into being generous or guilting you, you know, shouting at the top of my voice, you need to be generous, you need to give, that doesn't work. Real leaders invite people to join them on the journey. And leaders are those who get on the journey first and they say to others, come follow me. I remember reading what Jack Welch, the former CEO of GE, says about this uh, regarding working together for a significant cause. He says, walking the walk is absolutely critical. No one needs to have someone give them platitudes and then behave differently. This is all about trusting each other and getting them on the same page. And that's what David does here. He doesn't just spout platitudes about what other people should do. After making his own gift, David posed this question. Who's willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Because none of us can fulfill superior causes by ourselves, even if we are the king. Now, this word consecrate literally means to make oneself a priest. And the sense of it here is this. Who will devote himself to this cause with the same kind of willing spirit required of a priest in priestly service? And that's our challenge, too. And that's why I don't hesitate to challenge you. To give your very best. Because in so doing, we can receive what money can't buy. The ability to finish with fulfillment. The kind of financial generosity we show determines the kind of fulfillment we receive. Now I have noticed across the years that sometimes people are not financially generous primarily because of fear, not finances. Sometimes we're hesitant to be financially generous because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, and that creates uncertainty and fear. And if there ever was a climate in our country that could be summed up with uncertainty and fear, today is that time. Who knows what the stock market's going to do tomorrow? Who knows what the price of gold is going to be? Who knows where the price of oil is going to end up? But here's a little secret for you, a little tip for you with regard to the answer to those questions. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. You think you know? You don't know what's going to happen three weeks from now, three months from now, three years from now. But you don't know what's going to happen three minutes from now. You really don't know what's going to happen when you get up out of this seat after this service and get in your car to go where you thought you were going. You don't know that. And so financial generosity in the present is not dependent upon predicting the future. Be generous with what you have today and trust God, not the U.S. economy, not the global markets, not the euro. Trust God for tomorrow. But you know what? In the end, that's all we can do anyway. It's called Living by faith. And the sooner you embrace that, the closer you'll be to finishing life with fulfillment. Accept it. Live it. Go all in. Don't hold back. Half committed people are half happy people. Choice number three. Offer up spiritual gratitude. There there will be a lot of silly things said about Thanksgiving here in the next couple of weeks. But this is the real deal. Listen to what David has to say. Oh our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could watch this that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you have already given us. And then he addresses this issue of living by faith. We're here for only a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us, our days on earth are like a shadow, gone so soon without a trace. The result of gratitude is predictable. Generous giving, which in turn leads to spiritual fulfillment. That's God's cycle of sufficiency. When we recognize God for who He is and what He's done, there is only one response. The Bible calls it worship. He is worthy. And that's ultimately what giving is all about. Worshiping God for who He is, which always, always includes our finances. And when we come to understand that God owns it all anyway, that liberates us from fear. When we understand that all that which we have, God has placed in our hands, and that if we give it, He will be faithful to replace it in our hands, when we give in gracious recognition of who God is, not what I have, something happens to our hearts. Our hearts are enlarged, and they're liberated to experience what only God can grant Finishing what we start with fulfillment. Now here's how it works. The release of that which is in our hands, that's financial generosity, unlocks a portion of our heart that enables us to experience deep, long-lasting, genuine fulfillment. You can't buy that anywhere. While my wife's paying attention to pop culture, I'm reading Victor Hugo's sweeping novel, Les Miserables. You're probably familiar with it. It portrays the power of a gift in a wonderful way. The film version, starring Liam Neeson, opens with the protagonist, Jean Valjean, being released. He had served 19 years in prison because he stole some food. And so he shows up at the doorstep of the priest asking for a meal. And the elderly priest welcomes him into his home. He feeds him. He gives him a bed to sleep in for the night. And Jean Valjean uh, promises the priest that tomorrow I'm going to be a new man. Because he's fighting this memory of constantly being told, You're nothing but a criminal. And it had become ingrained in his psyche. And yet, Jean Valjean gets up in the middle of the night. He steals the silverware. He strikes the generous cleric, knocking him to the floor. The next day, police catch him, bring him back to the Monsignor's house to be identified once again as a thief, which would mean he would spend the rest of his life in prison and instead of identifying him as the thief the priest forgives him here's a quote from the book the bishop says to Jean Valjean now don't forget don't ever forget you promised to be a new man and Jean Valjean says promise what why are you doing this? And the priest says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now, I give you to God. The priest He shows us the power of a gift and reminds us of a commitment that all of us who follow Jesus made at some time in our life. We promised to be a new person. And that includes being a generous person. And if we listen carefully, we'll hear Jesus say to us, I've ransomed you from fear and hatred and I give you back to God. You can live a life of gratitude and generosity and finish with fulfillment. No matter where you've been or what you've done. And King David, he'll not be far behind praising God. He says, we give you only what you've given us. After all, Who wants to get to the end of life and have those who knew you best say, he died a good old age, but he was the most miserly, stingy, tight-fisted person I ever knew. He knew the price tags on everything, but the value of nothing.